Good morning. It's good to be with you. We're transitioning from Thanksgiving to Advent season, Christmas season. Love the decorations. As a young child, I remember being very excited when the church got decorated and Christmas was so far away. Doesn't feel like that anymore. Hey, if you're comfortable, I ask you to take a minute and with neighbors nearby you to, it's up on the screen, to share two things. You can cram in three, but you got two minutes to do this. A couple things you love about Christmas season, and if you must go there, a negative thing that you dislike about Christmas season, if that's anything. So go ahead, take a few minutes. You can make noise, talk a little bit with a neighbor if you're comfortable, or think about it on your own. Thirty seconds. Okay, it's time to come back. <laughs> Love to hear the noise. I'm glad you were talking together. You know, Christmas season is a wonderful season in many respects, but it can be very sad as well. So there's likes and dislikes. I hope you had more likes than dislikes. But no matter uh, the number or uh, your likes or dislikes. Advent is a season to have hope. It's a reminder for us every year. Why should we be hopeful? Because of God's great salvation. I, this morning, I just want to take some time to ponder God's great salvation. It's amazing if we take time to think about it. I think we church people get so used to talking about God's gift of salvation and his grace that we forget how huge it is. Praise team, thank you for that last song. It reminded me how low God made himself so that we could be raised up. It's an amazing thought. Think about God's great salvation because it will enliven your faith. It will awaken and stir again that, that freshness maybe the, of your early days when you first believed in Christ. And also it should inspire Thinking about God's great salvation should inspire your faithful obedience, my faithful obedience, because we are not always faithful in obeying the Lord. So let's think about celebrating, celebrating God's great salvation. Celebrate. God's message is hope-filled. 
I had Dave, David read from Isaiah 51 because it is a message filled with hope to the people of Israel. If you know anything about Isaiah's prophecy, the first 39 chapters are pretty downhearted, bad news words to the nation. Isaiah was looking forward. It wasn't going to happen for about 100 years, but the Babylonians were going to be coming, and God was declaring what he, how he was going to judge or discipline the nation of Israel for their disobedience. So the first 39 chapters are pretty, pretty depressing, pretty negative news to the nation. Chapters 40 to the end of Isaiah, chapters 40 through chapter 66, is, more po is very positive. There's a little bad news in there, but it's mostly hope-filled. God promises that his salvation will never be taken away from any generation if that generation would turn to the Lord and humble themselves and believe. I have it in the NIV translation, Isaiah 51.6. It's also in your bulletin. Lift up your eyes to the heavens. Look at the earth beneath. The heavens will vanish like smoke. What a picture. You know how smoke just kind of goes and disappears. The earth will wear out like a garment, and its inhabitants, the NIV says, die like flies but my salvation will last forever. My righteousness, my right doings will never fail. That's a message of hope. Is that the God you're trusting in? The theme of this first Sunday of Advent is hope, and Isaiah 51 is filled with God's hopeful good news. And those who hope in God's salvation in the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, are standing on solid ground. The heavens are going to disappear like smoke. The earth is going to be taken away. But in Christ, your faith gives you solid ground. My question this morning for you is, are you standing firm on that solid ground? What do you think what do you say? Celebrate. Your salvation in Christ is sure. It's hope-filled. Secondly, celebrate because God is great. I turn to another Old Testament passage, Deuteronomy chapter 32. I invite you to turn there with me. I want to read the first 12 verses, so you're going to have to hang in there because this is, a well, kind of long, and I know sometimes we have a hard time listening but please give ear, because that's what Moses said. This is Moses' last word, so to speak, to a new generation, to a younger generation that was about to go into the promised land. The older generation had disobeyed God. They hadn't been faithful. They hadn't leaned on God for their salvation. Many did not believe, and they died in the desert, never entering the land that was promised to them, the land that was right there, this this picture of another paradise that God was leading into, and they refused to enter it. So listen to what Moses said. In verse 30, it really begins in, in chapter 31. Then Moses spoke the words of this song, so he sang it so they could remember it. He spoke the words of this song until they were finished in the ears of all the assembly of Israel. Give ear, O heavens, I will speak, and let the earth hear the words of my mouth. 
May my teaching drop as the rain, my speech distill as the dew, like gentle rain upon the tender grass and like showers upon the herb. For I will proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God. I'm going to stop there. So here's what Moses is saying. He's saying, listen up. Pay attention. I'm about to say something really, really important, young people, you younger generation. You're about to enter the promised land. Listen to what I am about to say. Let it soak you. Get drenched in this truth. I'm speaking God's truth to you. Allow God's truth people that are here this morning. Let it soak us, this truth about how great God is. Look at verses 3 and 4. For I will proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe the greatness to our God. The rock. See, that's a description of our God. He's a rock. And I, when you picture a rock, do you picture a little rock or a big rock when you think about God? I picture uh, the rock of Gibraltar. Something that's just huge and solid. And if you run up against it, you're going to get hurt because it doesn't move. He's a rock. What else does it say? His work is perfect. God is a craftsman (laughs) and his work is flawless. For all his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity. There's no wrong in him. He's just and upright. That's a description of your God. And then Moses talks about history. Look at verses 7 and 12. Remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. So he's asking this younger generation about to enter the land, think back about all that you know, the great stories about Adam and Eve and Noah and, and, and all the pre Uh, early uh, saints who trusted in God, Abraham and Sarah. Think about them. Be familiar with God's past actions and history. God chose them. Remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. Ask your father and he will show you. Your elders and they will tell you. When the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, when he divided mankind, he fixed the borders of the peoples according to the number of the sons of gods. But the Lord's portion is his people, Jacob, his allotted heritage. He found him in the desert land and in the howling waste of the wilderness. He encircled him. He cared for him. He kept him as the apple of his eye. Like an eagle that stirs up its nest, that flutters over its young, spreading out its wings, catching them and bearing them on its pinions. The Lord alone guided him. No foreign God was with him. So here's this summary statement. God chose Israel. They were, they were just Abraham and Sarah. You, we can count up to two, right? And now there's millions of them. Because God protected them. Even when they were enslaved in Egypt, they grew because God was blessing them, protecting them, caring for them. He was faithful. He was like an eagle. Here's another picture. There's the rock picture. There's all these pictures. There's this dude letting God's truth soak us. And now he's picturing an eagle. And the young eagles are learning to fly. And the mother eagle is protecting them. And when they start to get tired learning to fly, the mother 
eagle catches them on its own wings and carries them back to the nest. Takes them home. And I will dwell forever. Where? In the house of the Lord. Or in this case, in the eagle's nest of glory. God's taking you there. He's so great. Remember this, Israel. Remember your history. Remember who your God is. He's a rock. He's been faithful. He's just. He doesn't do anything wrong. So knowing God's history, think about your own life. And if you're a follower of Christ, think about the history of how God has cared for you and let that bolster you and make a difference in how you live this week because of God's faithfulness. It allows us to think about being faithful to him, daring to obey him. And I just ask you again, do you believe, have you trusted God with your present life, with your future life because of what you know about God, what he's done in the past? What do you think about that? What do you say? Will you follow and trust this great God? This is a hope-filled message because of God's word. It's trustworthy and because of who God is. So we should celebrate. My heart's drawn to songs and hymns that, that draw my attention to God's character to what God's done for us, for his people, about his steady care. And, and one of the songs that I sing all the time, I often say, oh God. And then I think, wow. And then I break into this hymn so it doesn't sound like I'm kind of being mad at God. Oh God, our help in ages past. I don't have the lyrics up here, but just, but just let me read some of them and listen for how Isaac Watts reminded us of God's history. Oh God, stanza one, oh God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come, our shelter from the stormy blast, and our eternal home. So he's talking about past, present, and future. And then he talks about God keeping us secure. Under the shadow of thy throne, thy saints have dwelt secure. Sufficient is thine arm alone, and our defense is sure. He's strong. He's good. He's faithful. He talks about, uh, Isaac Watts talks about how God is unchanging. Before the hills in order stood, or earth received her frame, from everlasting thou art God to endless years the same. O God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come. Be thou our guide while life shall last in our eternal home. Just talking about God's faithfulness in the past, in the present, and in our future. It's a great thing to reflect on. So when you're discouraged, none of you were discouraged this week. It was a great week. No, life isn't that good. There's sadness because of people passing away near to us. 
work is rough or tough or not fun at all. We're just, we're just sad about things or, or maybe you know, a tragedy your, your college team lost or something this week, I don't know. It's amazing how we get connected with those things, but isn't it something how we need to reflect on who God is so when we're discouraged at work, at school, in our home life, in our bad choices, think of a song or think of a scripture verse that reminds us, that points us to who God is his faithful character, and what he's done in the past, what he's doing in the present, what he promises to do in the future. When life's overwhelming you with fears and troubles and discouragement, ask the Lord to soak you with the truth of who he is and his merciful grace and dealings with you. Ask him to assure you that he will carry you like an eagle does with its young young ones, back to the nest, back to himself, because God is taking you to be with him. Oh, and by the way, since this is Thanksgiving weekend, when life is good and filled with joy, let that remind you about how great your God is. Think about all that he's done Celebrate because God's salvation is so hopeful and great. Celebrate because God covers your debt of sin. Have you ever thought about how huge humanity's debt of sin is? It was a problem for Israel. In Deuteronomy 32, God says in uh, verses 5 and 6, Speaking of Israel, speaking of Judah, they have dealt corruptly with him, that is, with God. They are no longer his children because they are blemished. They are crooked and a twisted generation. Do you thus repay the Lord, you foolish and senseless people? Is not he your father who created you, who made you and established you? And yet you've forgotten him. But it's not just a Jewish problem. It's a Gentile problem, too. Uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul in Romans 3 reminds us, what then, are we Jews any better off? No, not at all, for we've already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, there's none righteous, no, not one, no one who understands, no one who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they've become worthless. No one does good, not even one. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I know we don't think about this very much, but think how much evil happened this weekend, this Thanksgiving weekend in Havertown. You can imagine some of it, can't you? How about in the Philadelphia area? How about in the United States? How about all around the world? How big is this debt of evil and wickedness that we have done that God must deal with in his holiness and in his justice. <laughs> it's uncountable. It's incredible. It's such a big problem because God is offended by it. The Holy One, the one who never does anything wrong, the one who has no iniquity, no shortcomings. His holy justice demands it must be judged. Noah's flood reminds us what happens when the world decides to ignore God and go its own way. God must eventually bring justice. 
Sodom's destruction reminds us of God's feelings about our sin. Israel's exile to Babylon for 70 years reminds us how slow God is to anger, but one day comes when he punishes our sin unless we turn from our evil paths into his Savior, to God for his forgiving mercy. I guess I've made the point, right, that sin's a pretty big problem and that there's a lot of it around the world. Doesn't surprise us. We're part of the problem. So if sin debt is so, so great, how much greater is the Savior who died for sin? and covered all of that sin. Think about how awesome it is to think of humanity's uncountable evil deeds, wicked thoughts, lying schemes, greed, adultery, selfishness, the list goes on and on. Who is this Savior? Well, we sung about him. He's the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, who came down to save us. Peter reminds us in his first letter in chapter 2, he says this about Jesus, he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on a tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd, the overseer of your souls. Jesus accomplished all of this for us. I guess this is Matt Meter's Remember Old Hymn Day. My hope is in the Lord, who gave himself for me and paid the debt of all my sins on Calvary. And now for me he stands before his Father's throne. He shows his wounded hands, and he names me as his own. So we celebrate. We celebrate with hope. Because God is great. His message is hopeful. His great love and mercy covers over, atones for, covers over, hides, puts away all our sins' debt if we would just simply believe in Jesus Christ, the one who came to save us. So we celebrate God because God's salvation is complete. It's for all people. That's what's so great about God's salvation. It's for all people. In the book of Revelation, uh, in John's vision of end, end times and end things. In Revelation 5, uh, heaven singing this song to Jesus, the only one worthy to open the scroll, to begin the, the just judgments that, that are going to come on the earth. And, as, and the people were singing this new song to Jesus, and they said, you ransom people for God from every tribe and every language and people and nation, and you made them a kingdom of priests to our God. You are a high priest. You're a priest for God. You're a representative. You're a mediator. That's something to celebrate because God's salvation is complete. It's for the whole world. God removes all our guilt through faith in Christ. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. 
He removes our guilt. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's Romans chapter 8. God's salvation transforms people. That's another reason to celebrate. Old people become new people. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. Have you ever heard of George Whitfield? Maybe. He's an old, old guy who was a great preacher during the Great Awakening. It happened in the 1730s to the 1770s in the United States and over in England. He was one of the key preachers. Happened almost 300 years ago now. In Edinburgh, Scotland, people were getting out of bed at 5 o'clock in the morning to hear George Whitfield preach. Now, I'm not offended if you don't get up at 5 to hear me preach. Just put it out there. But George Whitfield was such a great communicator, and God was using him in a mighty way. People were getting up at 5 o'clock in the morning to go hear him preach because the crowds were so big. He was preaching many times in all kinds of time periods of the day so people would come and hear him. There was a man on his way early in the morning at 5 o'clock to hear him preach, and he bumped into David Hume, who was a famous Scottish philosopher and skeptic. He didn't believe in God at all. The man was surprised to see David Hume going to hear George Whitfield preach. So he said to him, I thought you didn't believe in the gospel. And he, Mr. Hume replied, I don't, but Whitfield does. Someone asked Charles Spurgeon, who was known as one of the prince, prince of preachers in his day, how can I communicate like you? It was a, an understudy, wanting to be a great preacher. And here's what he said. Now, don't take this literally, but here's the picture he drew. It's simple, he answered. All you have to do is pour a bucket of kerosene over yourself and set yourself on fire, and people will come to watch you burn. So when we are committed to Christ and passionate about the greatness of our God and we understand it, the light of God's spirit is going to burn bright. We'll find God's peace filling us. And others are going to see and notice it. Some may ask to receive this fire of peace that's burning with you, in you or this fire of hope or this fire of purpose. And a few may even ask what it means to follow Jesus, and you can tell them. See, God's salvation is great. It's worth celebrating because its effects are everlasting. Again, in 1 Peter, the first chapter, here's what Peter, how he describes your salvation if you're a follower of Christ today. Listen to these good words. God's salvation has everlasting, never-ending effects that start now and go on into all eternity. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, it's undefiled and unfading 
kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice. So celebrate your salvation today. It's a gift that God's offering to you if you have not yet believed. And if you own it already, then let's celebrate a little bit. When you're asked about what you like about Christmas or maybe what you don't like about Christmas. Okay, we did get back to that, right? So there was a reason I said that. When you do, share. Share what you like about Christmas. You know, talk about your family traditions, the things you love, and maybe something you don't like so much about it. But use the opportunity to share about the peace and the joy you have received through Jesus Christ. Talk about the hope you have because he has come. That's what makes Christmas such a hopeful season. It's because Jesus has come. So celebrate. God is great. His mercy and his faithfulness is strong. His work in the present, his work in the past, his work in the future gives us hope. Celebrate because God has covered all of our sins. He's made us perfect. The future is guaranteed. You believe the gospel. Be changed by it. Get on fire for God. Let his transforming work work in you. You have a part in that. And celebrate because God's salvation is complete. No more guilt, even though you're guilty. He's taken it away as far as the east is from the west. We're transformed into new people, so let God make you somebody new and better. Salvation's effects are never going to end. That's worth celebrating. Let's pray together. Father and God, there's none like you. Oh Lord, you are great and your name is great in might. So we ask you, Lord, to soak our minds and our hearts with this truth because you are trustworthy and fill us with assurance today. Lord, if there's someone here that is not assured that you are the Christ, begin to work in their hearts and show yourself to be the great Savior you are. Lord, I ask you to change your church, not only here in this local church, but around our community, your people around the world. Help us to burn bright for your glory, to be convinced of who you are so that your glory is seen, so that Christ is believed by many this Christmas. We pray this for your honor and glory, Lord Jesus. Amen.